Hear these words from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up, and the rich in being brought low, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower falls away and its beauty perishes. In the same way with the rich in the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be be deceived, my beloved. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I pray that you would be with your word as it goes forth. Lord, as Balaam's donkey delivered your message to its owner, Lord, your word can go forth on its own. You choose the vessels. Lord, it's not the vessel that's a special thing. Lord, and I am reminded that I am merely an instrument of your voice going forth, and I pray that I would be that this morning. Lord, I pray that I would not add anything to your word, I pray that I would not take anything away, but I pray that I would simply seek to clearly express the word that you have given to us in the scriptures. And I pray that as the word goes forth, it will accomplish the thing for which you have sent it out. May it not return, may it not come back empty, we pray. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We come now to our final sermon in this this little mini-series that we've been going through on the Lord's Prayer. We say the Lord's Prayer every week when we gather. And it's it's my goal, it's my hope that as we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, there's increased meaning in our hearts as we recite it together. My hope is that as we learn more about it, not that we you know, necessarily remember everything that is taught from this pulpit, but my hope and prayer is that 
those words become more alive in our souls as we pray them. As we go on to recite the Lord's Prayer after the sermon today and in the coming weeks, my hope and prayer is that God brings back the things that we have learned so that we can recite the Lord's Prayer every week in a fresh and renewed way. The first week, four weeks ago, we looked at the first line of the Lord's Prayer. We looked at the person to whom we pray. We pray to a God who is both sovereign, powerful King and God who is loving, heavenly Father. We do not pray to someone who is powerless to grant our request. No, God is a sovereign king who does what he pleases. We do not pray to God, or we do not pray to someone who, you know, could care less about our request. No, we pray to a loving father as a child crawls up onto his or her father's lap and says, Dada. We pray to our heavenly father who will grant us all of our requests that are good and righteous and holy in this life or the next. The week after that, we looked at the three, the first three petitions together, right? May your name be hallowed. May your authority be recognized and obeyed, right? May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are all sort of saying the same thing in different ways because we know that today this world is dominated by sin. Things are not as they should be. So we look forward to the day in which God's kingdom comes, right? God's will is done in heaven, And on one day, the new Jerusalem with the throne of God will descend onto this earth and God will rule here and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we look forward to that day and we we participate in that day a little bit, right? When we love our neighbors as ourselves, that's a little way in which the kingdom of God cracks into this world. But we still wait for that day to come in full when Jesus brings his kingdom. The rest of the petitions, the ones we looked at a couple weeks ago and the one we're going to look at today, we pray because the kingdom has not come yet, right? Praying for God's kingdom to come is a huge request. It's a cosmic request. It looks back all the way to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden where heaven and earth were together. And it looks forward to the final day when heaven is brought down to earth. But the prayer about our daily bread is ordinary, It's daily. We are reminded that while we wait for the kingdom to come, we still have needs. We have physical needs. So we pray for God to give us our daily bread. Give us what we need every single day to get by. Like the Israelites went out of their tents every morning to collect the manna that had accumulated on the ground overnight. So we come back to God every day in continual faithfulness. Trusting that he will keep meeting our needs day by day by day by day. We return to our Father's lap and he will provide our needs. Last week we looked at the forgiveness of our sins, right? Our debts can be forgiven. We owe a moral debt that we cannot pay because of our sin. There are sins that we have committed. There are things that we have left undone that we should have done. And none of us by ourselves can can pay that moral debt. It has to be forgiven through what Christ has done. So we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we come now to the final petition that we'll look at. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I am a sinner. And I'm painfully aware of that in my own life. I'm a child of God. I'm a forgiven sinner. I am being sanctified, which means that over the course of my life, God is making me more and more holy. And I can look back on who I was 10, 15 years ago, and I see the immaturity and the selfishness that God has purged from my life. Many of you have walked with God longer than I've been alive, and perhaps you can look back 20, 30, 40, 50 years and see the ways in which God has changed you. He has sanctified you over those decades. And though God is making us more and more holy, we are still sinful. We still face temptations. That's why, while we wait for the kingdom to come, and when the kingdom comes, we will be free from sin. God will remove everything from this world that wasn't supposed to be here. Natural disasters, school shootings, our own sin. Until we wait for that day, we pray to be delivered from evil. We pray for the temptations to do wrong, to be removed from us. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins. Because we are sinful. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Remember, sins are not just things that we do. Right? Some people have a very short list of things that are bad. Oh, I've never killed anyone. Right? I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never you know, done anything really, really bad. So therefore, I'm pretty good. But sins are not just the things that we do. Sins are things that we leave undone. And all of us, if we take time to quietly reflect and pray and listen for the Holy Spirit's voice in our lives, we will see how truly sinful that we are. And it will drive us to pray, lead us not into temptation. There's a little bit of confusion over this request in the Lord's Prayer, specifically on the, on the word temptation, because the word underneath that, the word that it was translated from, can mean two different things that mean kind of different ideas. And one of the reasons we read this passage from James before the sermon was because it has both of those ideas. Right at the beginning of this passage, it says, Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Later on in the passage, it says, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. God does not tempt us, though he may lead us into trials. There's a subtle difference there, but it's a difference worth noting. God may bring a trial into our lives. We see these trials throughout Scripture. Right? God gave Adam and Eve a trial, right? He put them to the test. God didn't have to put, you know, a tree that was forbidden in the middle of the Garden of Eden, but he did. He said, don't eat this tree. Now, was God tempting Adam and Eve? No. He didn't want them to eat of the tree. He encouraged them not to, but he placed that in their way so they were forced to make a choice between good and evil. The snake tempted them, right? The snake shows up and says, hey, you know, Shouldn't you eat that tree? And they said, no, God told us not to. He's like, you know, but God's, God's got an agenda here, and he tempts them, and he lies to them. God tempts 
Abraham. He tries Abraham. I'm sorry, I'm trying to keep a difference between those two words. God does not tempt Abraham, but he sends Abraham a trial. The Bible says that he does. At the beginning of Genesis 22, God wants to test and see if Abraham is faithful to him, if Abraham will listen to his voice. And so he says, go sacrifice your son. And God was never actually going to let Abraham sacrifice his son. But he wanted to see. He's like, do you trust me? Or do you not trust me? In the same way, God may bring trials into our lives. And we don't want to pray that God's not going to bring trials into our lives. Because God will often bring things into our lives to draw us closer to him. Physical impediments. Difficult times and circumstances. With the purpose that when we go through them, we will be brought closer to God. He will give us those trials. But if there is temptation... That's not from him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. We face temptations in this broken, sinful world. What do we do when we face those temptations? I think there, there's, two, there's two lines here in this petition, right? There's, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And those two things kind of clarify and build on each other, right? Deliver us from evil shows us what kind of temptations there are. There are evil temptations that come upon us, and we pray that God will deliver us from them. And vice versa. Deliver us from evil could be taken to mean a lot of different things. We could get into all of these different views of spiritual warfare and seeing, you know, demons around every corner. But, you know, if we take them both together, we see that they're talking about not just any kind of evil, but evil that leads us into temptation. This is a prayer for God to deliver us. Why do we need to be delivered from temptation? Because sin is deadly. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived. We may think that we can handle our sin. We may think that our sin is just passable. We may think that our sin is just, oh, it's a flaw that I'm working on. And it's not going to really affect anything. But sin destroys relationships. Sin separates us from God. Sin will kill you. The famous Puritan John Owen write a book, wrote a book about killing sin. His famous line is, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. This is something that we struggle with. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Until the kingdom comes, we will struggle with sin, so we pray for deliverance. We have no hope of overcoming temptation on our own unless God delivers us from it. This sin that we struggle with, this sin that will kill us, we need help to beat. The picture that I've had in my mind as I've been preparing this sermon is that of a boxer, one who is clearly outmatched by his opponent. And they're in the ring and He's lasting longer than you would have expected him to, but, you know, it's becoming clear that this plucky upstart boxer, his time is coming. And he stands up, 
but he can't stand up very well. He's not really throwing any punches. He's just taking punches. And we see that it's just a matter of time before he gets knocked out by it. He can't win. He's outmatched. The other guy's quicker. The other guy's stronger. At this point in the fight, the other guy's got way more breath in his lungs. The upstart boxer is going to go down. It's the same with us in sin. We can try. You know, we can make New Year's resolutions. We can get, you know, a little productivity journal that'll help us to become better people. But at the end of the day, we will always struggle with sin by ourselves. We cannot beat it. We need God to deliver us from evil. So we pray, lead us not into temptation. We pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or that he would support us and deliver us when we are tempted. It is our only hope to have God intervene in our lives and deliver us from this enemy that will kill us. So it's worth asking, how does God deliver us? Right? It's one thing to pray, right? lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. But what does God use in this life in order to free us from temptation and deliver us from succumbing to that temptation when that temptation comes? What does that look like? Does God use supernatural crazy means in order to do that? Does an angel appear when we pray, you know, lead us not into temptation, and the angel says, no, don't do that thing. You don't want to do that thing. It will lead you to death. It will kill you. It's not as good as it sounds. Has that ever happened to anyone? No one. Well, that happens to me. No, I'm just kidding. It does not happen to me. That's not what God does. God uses, and we find this pattern over and over God uses ordinary means of grace. That's the theological term for it. Ordinary means of grace. What we mean by that is that God uses everyday things to accomplish his will. Right? When we pray for healing of loved ones, that doesn't necessarily mean miraculous healing. Maybe it just means you've got to go to the doctor and you've got to take the pills the doctor prescribes. God uses ordinary things. I'm not saying he can't use extraordinary means. Right? God, he appeared you know, in a bright light to Paul as Paul was going to Damascus to kill Christians. That was, that was pretty miraculous in order to stop that from happening. But God gives us ordinary means to overcome our temptation. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he would be crucified, right before he was arrested, Jesus went into a period of trial, of temptation. The temptation was for Jesus to let the cup pass from him, right? to, to overcome those who would attack him and arrest him, and to fail to go to his death to save us from our sins. Jesus took three of his closest friends, three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he said, come and pray with me. But do you remember what they did? They couldn't, stay, they couldn't stay awake. And to be fair, I mean, how many of us haven't been able to stay awake when we're praying? That's just an ordinary human thing that happens. But Jesus wakes them up, and what does he say? He says, watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation. We are told to pray to God, right? Lead us not into temptation. 
but deliver us from evil. But that includes ordinary things like watching and praying so that we do not enter into temptation. Watch. How do you watch out for temptation? That's a little weird, right? I think the idea there is that we as Christians are supposed to know ourselves so that we can see when temptation's coming. It's easy for us, right? Especially as people who are, you know, often super connected to our phones, super connected to technology, super connected to TV and the radio. It's easy for us to drown out our inner monologue and our inner dialogue so that we never actually think about the kinds of people we are and the temptations that we're succumbed to. It's important to spend time in watchful prayer, praying that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us our own tendencies, reveal to us sins that we perhaps didn't even know were sins, show us the roots of our selfishness. We are to watch and pray so that we do not enter into temptation. If we do not watch, if we do not pray, if we just go along with our daily lives, never thinking about these things, never considering these things, then we are all the more likely to fall into temptation. Ordinary means of grace, watching and praying. Knowing the word of God. Right? Most of us will know, or at least many of us will know, that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how did he respond? To the devil. With the Word of God. He quotes Scripture. Now, sometimes I think we can fall into the trap that, oh, if we, you know, if I've got a few verses memorized and I just quote the Bible, Satan will be like, oh, no, that's the Bible. Those are the magic words and I have to run away. Right? You know, you can just recite a genealogy and Satan will be like, oh, no, that's from the Bible. And then he has to stop tempting you. No, that's, that's not the idea here. We quote Scripture when we are tempted. We know and quote Scripture when we are tempted. Because Scripture tells us the truth when our own desires, when our own flesh, when the world, when the devil is trying to tell us a lie. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden at first, right? The serpent goes up to Eve and says, hey, didn't God tell you this? And Eve said, no, God told me this thing. And when we quote Scripture, when we are in the Word enough to know what Scripture says, we can bring it to our own mind And we can be reminded that sin is something that will kill us. It is something that may be pleasurable for a season, but at the end, it leads us to death. It will lead us away from God. It will lead us away from healthy and good relationships. It will come between the people of God. Sin will kill. We don't just memorize Scripture just to memorize Scripture. We are reminded of the promises made to us in the Word of God that if we trust Christ and follow Christ, He will bless us. And if we reject Him, we are choosing the way of death. So when Jesus quoted Scripture, that's an example that we can follow. And if we've been watching and praying, right, spending time in prayer, knowing the ways in which our hearts are led astray, because all of our hearts are led astray in different ways, some people are you know, more susceptible to sexual sin. Some people are more susceptible to issues of, of power. Some people are more attracted to accumulating money for themselves. But if we know in which way we are tempted to go, we can memorize scriptures and study portions of scripture that remind us of the truths when it comes to those things. We are, can be reminded that salvation is not found in going astray in any way, but it's found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Ordinary means of grace, watchful prayer, knowing and memorizing the word of God. 
but also each other. One of the perhaps most profound and perhaps difficult verses in the scriptures is found in in Hebrews 10, verse number 24. The word says this, Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to good deeds. Let that sit. Let us consider. Let us take time to sit and to think and to ponder. Think about what? Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to good deeds. Normally, we use the word provoke in a negative sense, right? This country was provoked to war. We were provoked to anger, to a bad response. But we, as Christians, are to consider, take time to ponder how we can provoke each other, the other people in this room, to love and to good deeds. I'm not very good about that. I'm not very good at sitting and thinking about how can I provoke this person to do the right thing. Perhaps you are, but my guess is that most of us don't really take time to do that. What a beautiful song that is, Stan. Thank you for blessing us with that. Who among us has not been there? I certainly haven't. We are to take time to consider how we can help other people to do what's right because we are all in this together. After all, we are praying, deliver us from evil, not necessarily deliver me from evil, but we are in the resisting temptation business together. That may mean that if you spend time in watchful prayer, you know that you are tempted in a certain way and you've got to find somebody In this room, perhaps, another Christian who can help you to avoid that. Perhaps it means giving them permission to call you out on your sin. Finding a trusted friend that you say, hey, I know I tend to be selfish when it comes to these things. When you see me being selfish, call me out on it. It can be dangerous to give that permission to everybody. But it's also dangerous to give that permission to no one. It's helpful to accumulate people that we can be accountable to. Perhaps it means sitting down once a week or once a month and reviewing the scriptures together to, excuse me, to, to see you know, what the scripture says about the sins that you struggle with, to review the promises that God makes in his word that sin will kill you and following Christ will bring you life. But it's up to not just us individually. It's not a me and my own thing to resist temptation. But we are to consider How to provoke each other to love and to good works. When you are tempted to sin and you pray for God to deliver you from that temptation and to deliver you from evil, an angel is probably not going to show up and start reciting scripture to you. But a friend that you may call may very well answer the phone. A scripture that you have memorized may very well come to your own mind. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. God will use ordinary things to answer your prayer, to lead you not into temptation, and to deliver us all from evil. But what if we fall? What if it doesn't work? After all, we are all sinful. I sin. Even when I pray, 
deliver us from evil. I still fall. I still fail. And yes, I'm becoming more and more holy. And yes, I look forward to the day in which I will be completely free from sin. So what do I do when I fall? What does that look like? Well, this is why we pray the petition that we prayed for last week. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those around us. People of God, when we fall, mercy and grace are offered at the foot of the cross. They are not offered anywhere else. Society cannot give you absolution. Only Jesus Christ can. Your sins can only be washed away by the blood of Christ. We pray for mercy and grace. You may know that there's a subtle difference there. Mercy for the things that we have done in the past. Sins that we have committed. Things that we have left undone. We can be forgiven for those things. But along with mercy comes grace for the future. Mercy for what we have done and left undone and grace to continue to grow in Christ. Not on our own, because we, like the boxer, can never never beat sin, but grace to grow because of what Christ has done for us. So that as we grow together, as we use these ordinary means of grace, we may stand as a church perfect and complete and entire, on that final day, in the presence of God Almighty, and we may be judged completely free of our sin because of what Jesus Christ has done. There is mercy and grace for all who fail. So now, let us pray together for the final time, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven... 